You are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. Sam gave me the invite to come and I was excited to be here with you this morning. Like Sam said, I met him a couple years ago. I met his wife at the seminary as well and they are absolutely a power couple. I would equate them to the Brangelina of the Christian world. They're pretty much much celebrities over at at our seminary. They're awesome, and it's a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. So if you're excited for the word, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Today, I don't plan on teaching or preaching, but just talking with you, conversing with you. And I believe that the Lord will meet us in this place. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. It says, Many a man claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. Many people claim to have unfailing love, but someone who is faithful who can find. Now, I don't know whether you're a football fan or not, but I'm sure most of you have heard about Tebow Mania this past year. If you don't know Tebow Mania, there's this guy, his name is Tim Tebow, he was a quarterback on the Broncos. He's your unconventional player. In other words, he wasn't that good. But yet, somehow, miraculously, he would always win games. Now, everyone was watching to see whether he'll pull out another comeback, If you don't know, Tebowing became a fad where you just get on your knees and pray. And people were just enamored by this guy. He was probably the most polarizing figure in all of sports. Now, how many of you guys know Tim Tebow? Know who that is? Okay. Because before you guys raise your hands, it seemed like none of you have heard of him, okay? Um, Please feel free to smile back so I know that you understand what I'm saying, because it seemed like, wow, I guess no one knows who this man is. You know Jeremy Lin. Yeah. Tebow mania was probably the equivalent of Lin's sanity in football. Now, this past offseason... Tim Tebow was traded to the New York Jets. Now, he's a member of New York. You guys know who the New York Jets are, right? Okay. Yeah, the blue shirts. The green shirts. Yeah, okay. On the New York Jets. And already the controversy is, who is going to be the quarterback? Because the Jets already have... Uh, a player by the name of Mark Sanchez, who's the starting quarterback. He was highly coveted coming out of college. Now already there's a quarterback debate. One of the questions before the season has already started is, how long before fans start calling for Tebow? Is it going to be after the first game, the first couple mistakes? Because people already know that they're going to chant Tebow's name as soon as Mark Sanchez throws an interception. But that's the nature of a fan. A fan doesn't wait. A fan doesn't stick with you till the end. They want to see the quick results. They want to see the quick turnaround. So fans are probably going to start booing Mark Sanchez and start calling for Tebow because they want to see something happen right away. 
the thing about a fan is, like I said, is that they don't wait. Because the ones who cheer the loudest for you when you're doing well are the same exact people who boo you at your worst. But the people that the Lord is looking for aren't fans, but people who will be faithful. It doesn't matter how much you say you love Mark Sanchez. The truth is, as soon as he starts playing badly, you're going to start rooting for Tito. The Lord isn't looking for fans. He's looking for children. He's looking for disciples. And I believe that in a culture where it's so self-driven, so consumer-driven, microwave generation, that we're not interested in waiting. We want the quick and easy right away. The path of least resistance is our highway. That's what we're looking for. Now, being on the East Coast, New Yorkers, we can't wait even five seconds if the car in front of us is taking a little bit. We're on our horn. We're, 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 we're yelling. Maybe we're doing obscenities. Who knows? You know, that's between you and the Lord. <laughs> but we're not interested in waiting. We want the quick and easy. We want the path of least resistance. But there's something I, I, I like to call the furnace of waiting. And I believe that's what the Lord does to refine us, to shape us, to mold us, to make us into the people that he desires us to be. Waiting isn't fun. Waiting isn't easy. But I believe that's what the Lord uses the most. We see it all throughout Scripture. God calls this man by the name of Abram. He promises him that he'll have descendants after descendants, that his family name is going to be famous. You know, Abram, Abram, try counting the stars. It's not even going to come close to how many descendants you're going to have. But there's one problem, and it's that he doesn't have a child of his own yet. So the Lord promises him, says, I'm going to be there for you. I'm with you. I've chosen you. You're my boy. You're my man. I got you. But yet 25 years later, finally the promise comes to realization. But he has to wait 25 years. We see it once again when God calls the nation of Israel out of Egypt and says, I'm going to bless you. You're my people. I got your back. I'm your God. You know, look at my miracles, and I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to bring you into the promised land. But in order for them to get there, they have to go through the desert 40 years. And we see this pattern continually with David. David is called as a young man. He's anointed to be king as a teenager, but he doesn't enter the throne until he's in his 30s. And in, and in that process, it's not like it was easy. He's running for his life. He's hiding. He's, he's pulling his beard and pretending to be crazy, right? It's in the Bible. He's saying all these crazy things as he's waiting to see God's promise fulfilled. Now, it's not fun to wait, but I believe something happens within us internally through that process. And in this furnace... The Lord purifies us. He, he shapes us. He molds us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that to rejoice in our sufferings. And I think it makes sense that only God could say that to us. Amen? Because I don't think I would ever say, wow, man, I'm suffering so much, dude. It's so awesome. Right? I'm tweeting right now. I'm suffering. It's awesome. Praise the Lord. That's, that's not our mentality. But the Lord tells us in his word to rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because I believe that God sees it from a different perspective. 
He sees the outcome that we don't see yet. So the Bible tells us, rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. There's a process that the Lord puts us through so that finally when we get there, we say, man, we've made it through. Not because of me, but because God has been faithful. Because the Lord has carried me thus far. Because when it's easy, anyone can say, man, I really love the Lord. But in the passage we read, it says, many a men claim to have unfailing love. When we're at a retreat, when we're at some spiritual high place, when things are going great, it's easy to say, man, God is good. God is awesome. I love the Lord. I love Jesus. But sometimes it's in the darkest places, the toughest places, where our faith is actually put to the test. Where it's one thing to say, man, God is good on the mountaintop, and another when you're in the valley. So the Lord pushes us through this process of refining us in this furnace of waiting. And, and I think for many of us, we equate suffering to something painful or something unpleasant. That it's an event that, that happens to us. And while that's true, I believe there's another part of suffering that gets looked over. And I think that is the part of enduring. The part of putting up with tough times. And there's this old word that I don't think most people use today, and it's the word long-suffering. It's to endure, to go through a trial, go through a period of waiting without being moved, without being, you know, pushed around by our circumstances, but persevering. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, that even Jesus himself learned obedience as a son through suffering. And I, think, I don't think this passage is talking about Jesus on the cross. Right? Finally, when Jesus is on the cross, that's when he learned what being a son looked like. Finally, at the cross, he learned what obedience was. I don't think that's it. I think Jesus, living his whole life, Lord, just waiting for his ministry to start, because Jesus' ministry didn't start until he was 30. So we have to wonder, what did it look like for Jesus to go through that? I mean, he knows he's God. He knows he's the Son. You have all this power. You're like, I'm just ready to unleash it to the world. But yet he's submitting to the timing of the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord. He's submitting to his earthly parents. He's submitting, just waiting on the Lord for finally the green light. Because I think for me, I would admit that there's certain traffic lights that says no turn on red. And sometimes if it's late at night, and the red light's taking longer than I, than I want it to, as long as there's no camera there, I'm going. Right? That's a confession. Right? This is church. It's a safe place to confess. <laughs> but how many of us would wait if the Lord gives us a stop and says, wait, wait, and we wait there longer and longer? I think for many of us, we'll just turn because we know that that's the way we need to go. But sometimes staying there saying no to what I want to do, waiting on the Lord, enduring, is part of suffering. It's part of submission. And I think that's what this passage is talking about. Jesus learned obedience as a son through what he suffered, through what he endured, through waiting. Now, God is a good God, amen? Amen. He wants to bless us. He wants to reward us. I believe there are certain things that we can only receive as children of God. There's certain blessings that God wants to give us, and we could just 
And the only thing we can do is just receive it as sons and daughters. But at the same time, the Bible says that God is a rewarder. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. In Hebrews 11, it says, seek the Lord in faith because he rewards those who seek him. There are certain things that the Lord will only give to us, such as increase and blessings, and he'll only give it to us as a reward. And in, and, and in order for us to receive that reward, I believe it, it makes us wait on him. It makes us be faithful. Jesus says that those who have been faithful with little, I will bless them with more. I believe that's the word that he has for this church. Um, we're doing that exercise of just waiting on the Lord before, just being silent. And I believe that's the word that Jesus has for this church. You've been faithful with little. You've been faithful with the small things. And now I can entrust you with more. So there are certain things that he can only bless us with and reward us with. But it, it, at the end of the day, those things, I believe, are, are, are like a double-edged sword. That there's, the blessings are like a double-edged sword in the sense that what is meant to bless us can sometimes hurt us in the long run if we're not prepared. What's meant to promote us can actually be what takes us lower. And an example of that is if, if let's say Sam here, he, the Lord blesses him, amen, and he buys a Ferrari for his daughter. Church band. So let's say he buys a Ferrari for his daughter, and he's got it. He's he's taking care of it. He puts it in the garage. He waxes it. He he washes it. He prays over it. You know, he, he intercedes over that car thing. Sophia, this car is for you. When you're old enough, it's yours. Just just don't pick up guys with it, right? So this car is for you, it's your inheritance. And while, he, while that car is fully hers, it's been bought and prepared for her, it would be irresponsible for Sam to give it to her right now. Right? Are you guys with me? It wouldn't make sense for him to give it to his daughter, who's, how old is she? Five. Five years old. Six. I'm sorry. Six. Six. Right? Her feet can't even reach. Her feet can't even reach the pedals. It would be negligent, it would be irresponsible for a father to give his daughter, even though it's rightfully hers, a car at this age. In the same way, I believe that the Lord has blessings He wants to give us, but we have to go through the process of waiting so that once He blesses us, it doesn't ruin us. That it doesn't take us lower, but that we can actually hold it. We can actually steward it well. Because there are certain gifts that can take us further along than we then our character can handle. That sometimes our, our gifting, our blessings can open doors that our character can't handle. But the Lord wants to make sure that we have the character, we have the foundation set so that when He blesses us, when He gives us the increase, when, he, when, he, when His promises come true, we're totally ready. That we can handle it. In the same way we see God, as I alluded to earlier about Abraham, Finally, when he had Isaac, God knew that Abraham's heart was fully mine. That his son hasn't taken this, the throne in his heart. He had to wait in order to get there. He wants to bless us. He wants to reward us. But because the nature of a blessing is oftentimes double-edged, he's, he's preparing us to handle it well. Because he desires true children 
will submit to the Father. Tim Keller says this, Religious people obey God to get things, but gospel people obey God to get God. He doesn't want us to obey Him just so that we can get the blessings, just so that we can get you know, the things that we need from God. He wants to give it to us, I promise you that. But He doesn't want those things to ruin us. He doesn't want those things to become idols in our hearts. He wants our, our hearts fully for Him. And He tests us. He prepares us. He refines us as we wait. I believe waiting reveals who you are and how you wait reveals who you become. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 24 about a master who leaves his house in charge to servants. The master says, I'm going to be gone for a while. I'm going to go to a wedding. I'm going to go party. You, know, you just take care of my house and I'll be back. And I think that if we know when the master is going to come back, we'll be ready. In the same way, I think if we know when God is going to come through for us, I believe when we know when the breakthrough is coming, when the blessing is coming, then we can be faithful until that time. <laughs> right? If I knew, since Sam was introducing me as an eligible bachelor, if I knew that I was getting married a year from now, guess what? I'm hitting the gym. <laughs> hey, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I don't know why you're laughing, but but if I knew that I was getting married a year from now, I'll be hitting the gym. It doesn't matter who comes, you know, hollers at me. I'm gonna be like, no, I'm getting married in a year, because I know what's ahead. I'm not settling down, because I know what's ahead. But the challenge comes in this: is that the Lord never gives us really a timetable. But the Lord has never spoken to me, but right? He didn't speak to me during worship when and where I was going to get married. Lord, why? Right? <laughs> but then that's where true faithfulness comes in. In that same passage we're talking about, Jesus says, if, if we knew when the thief was coming, we would have made sure that they weren't breaking in. But it's that unknown factor of not knowing when that really puts our faithfulness to the test. Because if I know my breakthrough is three months from now, if it's six months from now, whatever, I can keep my behavior managed. I, 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 could, I could push down the frustrations because I know. Or, or I can be good because I know. But it's the indefinite thing. It's the indefinite timing, the unknown, that really challenges us, that really purifies us. And, I, and I'll give you more honest confessions and the, I know that the Lord has promised me good, that God has shown me through different people and to myself that He wants to use me, but I'm waiting on the Lord and I don't know when. And, and some of the questions that I, that I was wrestling with, I was just journaling and praying and I was like, suffering, and I had all these crazy thoughts go through my mind. The first thing was, man, I, I'm, I'm like the oldest son in, in, the, in the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you guys are familiar with that story? Right? The younger son's a rebellious son. He, he, he just does whatever he wants. But then there's the older son, the older brother, who's been faithful, who's been good, but yet for all the wrong reasons. And in my own time, just wrestling and, and, and during this time of waiting, I really felt like I was the older son. I was like, man, have I been obedient to God for all this time for all the wrong reasons? I was like, man. And then the next thought is, right, don't judge me is, am I even a Christian? 
I honestly asked myself that. It's like, man, I've been an oldest son pretty much my whole life. I've been obeying God for all the wrong reasons. I'm trying to get blessings. I want him to come through for me. I'm just trying to use God. And the next question I ask myself is, man, am I even a Christian? Right? And, and I think the thing is, is that it's not necessarily a bad thing to ask these type of questions. I think naturally when you're waiting, the impurities rise up because it's a furnace. All the junk comes up to the surface. And the Lord showed me that so that when I asked myself this question, I wasn't condemning myself. You know, I wasn't like, wow, that's really true. Forget this seminary thing, ripping up my Masters of Divinity. No. <laughs> right? Too much money went into it. Like, that was actually the thought. That, that was the restraint. But as I asked myself these questions, I had to remind myself that waiting is a furnace, so it's natural for these thoughts to come up. It's junk that's just coming to the surface. And I don't think wrestling with these questions are necessarily bad because sometimes the only place you'll ever find gold, gold is in the dark, deep caverns of your own soul. Sometimes you have to go to the darkest places, the loneliest places, the quietest places to find gold. For many of us, if someone came to us and asked us, are you a Christian, we could easily recite what we've been taught. We can easily recite what we've been told our whole lives. But I don't want second-hand, trite answers that didn't come at a price. So when someone asks me, Sam, are you a, uh, a Christian? I have an answer, not because it's something I learned. It's not something I got from a degree, but because I've wrestled with the Lord, because there was friction, because there was pressure, because there was time. That answer is a diamond. It's something I fought for. So you can't question whether I'm really a, a Christian or not or whatever because this, that's an answer I paid the price for. I had to wrestle with it. And I believe that that's what the Lord wants for us in this time of waiting. He doesn't want us to have trite, secondhand, inherited answers, but an answer that we fought for and that we can give away as an inheritance. So waiting makes us go deeper to the deep places of our own souls and to be really dependent on the Lord. And I think, and these are just all these thoughts that I've been wrestling with on my own, um, not even knowing I was preaching, actually. So I just jumbled it all together, went through my Twitter, see what I tweeted. <laughs> and I think one of the things about faith is that faith doesn't really die in the valley. I think faith usually dies in the commonplace, in the plains. Because when you're in the valley, when you're at your low points, you know you're desperate for God. When you're on the mountaintop, you're, you're pretty much right there with the Lord. But it's in the, it's in the plains. It's in the commonplace where our faith is really put to the test. And with that thought, well, I don't know how accurate this is because I'm not a pirate or a fisherman. <laughs> but the thought I had was that... What's this before now? Imagine you as a pirate. Oh, <laughs> is that I believe that most mutinies don't take place in the middle of a storm. Right, that's just the thought I had. Most mutinies don't take place in a storm because you need everybody at their best working because you're in a storm. You've got to survive. And you're definitely not having a mutiny when you're finding treasure or catching fish because, man, you're living it. You're living it up. But I believe mutinies take place when you've been out at sea 
day after day, not knowing what's next, not knowing where you're going. I believe that's where mutinies take place. I might be wrong. I'm not a pirate, right? Ark, right? <laughs> but I think in the same way in our faith, it's when we're in the storm, we're, 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 we're trying to wake up Jesus, right? We see that in the, in the Gospels where the disciples go to Jesus trying to wake him up in the middle of the storm because they need him. And then we're seeing, when they're seeing miracles, they're like, whoa, you are the Lord. But it's in the commonplace where our faith is really put to the test. And I believe it's in that place where we have to go deeper than we've ever gone before to really ask those hard questions. I don't know what that question might be. For some of us, it might be, God, do you really care? God, do you really love me? Right? I know that my B-I-B-L-E tells me so, but I must know for myself, God, do you really care? God, do you really love me? And the thing about God is, is that he doesn't love us with an ego. That when God looks at us, he doesn't let an ego get in the way because he doesn't have one. He's not like, you're asking me that question now? Right, look at all I've done for you. I, I don't think the Lord does that. If he does, it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that the Lord is very gracious with us. He's patient with us. That he doesn't have an ego. That even when we've messed up for a millionth time, times a million, I don't even know what that is, he accepts us back as if we've never made a mistake. I think it's interesting in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, where the, son, the younger son is coming back to the father, and the father sees him from a distance, and the father runs, and the father asks no question. He doesn't ask him any questions. He doesn't ask, son, where were you? What would you do? Son, you smell. Were you with pigs? He doesn't ask any questions. <laughs> but he receives him as a son. And if you look at the parable, it's not even like the younger son had this great conviction either. He's not like, oh my gosh, I've offended my father. I was such a punk. How could I do that? But rather his actual epiphany was, if I stay here any longer, I'm going to die. Even my father's servants have enough food, and I'm, I, and I'm envious of the pigs. I'm jealous of the pigs. The real reason why the son went back was not because he loved the father, but because for his own survival. But even though he went with that type of attitude, even though he went with that kind of mindset, the father still received him. Even if we go back to God because he's our last resort, the Lord still receives us. He still loves us the same. He has no ego. Amen? Amen. So waiting makes us go deeper, to be truly dependent, even in the commonplace. So if that's you, keep holding on. Keep going deeper. I believe waiting also transitions us from just believing to actually knowing. For many of us, we believe that God is faithful. We believe that God is faithful. We've, we've heard it. We've sung it. We've read it on our Bible app, on our smartphones, whatever. But it's in the place of waiting where what we believe about God is something that transitions to what we know. That at the end of this trial or season you're in, once you're done, once you get past this, you're not going to just say, man, I believe God is faithful. You're going to say, I know 
God is faithful because whatever your testimony is. And it might be cheesy, but this, it just came to mind. I like cheese. Me too. Is that uh, in the Lord, your test becomes your testimony. In the Lord, your test becomes your testimony. And your mess becomes your message. And it happens as you wait. You don't just believe God is faithful. You know he's faithful because you've waited on him, because you've seen him come through. So with that, as you wait, just keep on keeping on. Just keep on keeping on and abide in him. I think to abide in the Lord isn't so much a religious thing of, I've got to do my QTs, you know, wake up in the morning because I'm Asian and, and pray, you know, whatever, go to morning prayer. But I think abiding in the Lord is just being simple and real with Him. If you look through the Psalms in the Bible, you see texts that are just transparent and real before the Lord, where it's literally saying, God, where are you? Like sometimes that's my prayer. Like, God, where are you? And that's it. That's all I pray. <laughs> you might think I'm, like, not really religious or or honorable to, before the Lord, but I just, I'm just real with the Lord. Psalm 13 has been, I guess, a comfort for me, for, for me personally in this season of waiting of, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? That's been my prayer. That's been, you know, the sign on my door at my house. And I believe that the Lord isn't offended by that. I don't think the Lord is offended by us being real. Because sometimes the real question is, God, where are you? God, I thought you were faithful. God, I thought I could rely on you. God, if you're so good, then why is this happening to me? God, if you're so good, then, then what's going on? And I believe that sometimes that's what the Lord wants to hear. Not the, not the easy, simple praises of our lips, but He wants the reality of our hearts. That He wants our hearts. That God wants you as you. Not your best Sunday self. Not your best Christian, Christianized self with your Bible in your hand. But he just wants you as you in the place that you're at. And it's in the waiting where that gets exposed. It's in the waiting where everything is stripped away. Everything is just broken, messed up. And we're just like, God, here I am as I am. Won't you come and meet me here? So let's pray. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, that you want to meet us here, right now, in the place that we're at, in the place of waiting. God, we're coming to you today without Sunday school answers, we're not coming to you with just lip service, God, but we're coming to you real. We're coming to you broken. We're coming to you super needy of you. So, God, here we are this morning, just as we are. in our nakedness before you. 
So God, come. Holy Spirit, you are already here. Holy Spirit, you're already here. Holy Spirit, you're already here. Come on, I want to encourage you. This is the place for you to meet the Lord. If not church, then where? Feel free to be broken. Feel free to be a mess. Because this is where the Lord will turn your mess into your message. This is the place where he'll turn your test into a testimony. Come on, let's make this a sacred moment before the Lord. That this will be part of our history with him. That we can say, man, remember that Sunday when we just left it all at his feet? He really came through. He really met us. This is your moment. Whatever it is that's on your heart, just bring it before the Lord. Maybe it's questions. Maybe it's frustrations. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's depression. Because the truth is, is that God is good. He's faithful. And what I want to say to you, Sycamore, today is that I don't know what your stories are. I don't know what the promises that God has given you personally. But he is faithful. That God is not just a promise giver. He's definitely not a promise frustrator. He is a promise fulfiller. God is not man to lie. He's not man to exaggerate. But what he said to you, he meant it. And what he meant, he said. He's for you. He's with you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He knows you by name. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And he's saying, look to me. I'm with you. I'm with you. What he has said over your life still holds true. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten his words for you. And I believe someone needs to hear this this morning, that you're not living plan B of God's will for your life. You're not living plan B of God's will. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I don't know what you've been through, what you're going through, but you're going to make it. You're going to make it. So God, come. Come and touch us like you do. Come and meet us here this morning. God, I just speak against anxiety right now in Jesus' name. I just come against anxiety. Some of you have been carrying burdens for way too long. Burdens that were never meant to be yours. This morning's your time to lay that down at His feet. You're not standing before the Lord as as guilty. You're not standing before the Lord as guilty today. He's seeing you as son. He's seeing you as daughter. And He says, with you I am well pleased. You are my son, you are my daughter, and with you I am well pleased. So God, lift every burden now in Jesus' name. God, we just cast out anxiety right now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.com. That pursuit nyc.org. Revival or bust.